Hi everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Outside the Box. This is a weekly podcast where we talk about things that matter to us, like cutting-edge conspiracy theories and international and domestic politics. I'm Eric Perez, and I have with me this week Andrew Hull and Spencer Lee. Sadly, Daxon couldn't make it this week, so we're Sad. going on without him. Aww. So, has there is there anything interesting happening with you two recently? Um, I got my car impounded, so that's fun. That's uh, it's pretty troubling. That sucks. <laughs> so, it's all good. with that, with that recent discovery that your car has been impounded, <laughs> impounded, I have a question for you. Would you rather end all wars or end world hunger? <clears throat> Honestly, I feel like ending world hunger would end a lot of the wars, wars by, byproduct. Honestly, like, so like I'd go with that. Like, hunger is at the root of a lot of the wars. Like, look at the conflicts in, for example, like Sudan. A lot of that is driven by food scarcity. It's true. It's true. Plus, people when they're hangry, they like to start wars. Okay, but so like actually, we should though, just distribute some Snickers. <laughs> like that's a conspiracy theory in <laughs> itself. Nine yeah. Eleven was created because someone was hangry, dude. How about you, Andrew? What would you do specifically? Would you end all wars or would you end world hunger? I mean, like if you. I think I'd end world hunger. Like, even if it doesn't start all stop all wars, like, I think that you you end like a reasonable amount of suffering, which is probably good. Um, I agree with Spencer that by product you'll probably end a lot of wars, but like, if you end all wars, like, then there's still going to be people suffering. There's still going to be people suffering in, in Hungary. So, I, in I think Hungary that, or like the country or like. Like the country. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, just any, any world hunger, in my opinion, is the, the better option. Okay, okay. How about, I feel like we we all have a certain mindset when it comes to war, that it's that it's guns and shootings and mm-hmm. blowing things up. How about war, like war on terrorism and the war on drugs? What if that was also, I just want to remind you that that's mm-hmm. also encompassed within wars itself. <clears throat> what if there's a war on hunger? Then mm-hmm. would you effectively end the war? Then the hungry people. See, now we're getting into that with, like semantics and shit. Yeah. And like, I feel like if we're getting into that, then the question becomes a lot more nuanced. What What if I'm a but, semantics guy? What if I like talking semantics? What if semantics are useless, dude? Semantics aren't useless. I think Eric brings up a good point. conversation. I mean, we we like to make up wars like our our governmental leaders do. So why can't we like the war on on hunger or the war on stupidity? yeah um good point so if i were to encompass let's just say the war on terrorism and the war on drugs i'd probably end war itself because there's probably a bunch of like trickle down impacts that occur i understand that you know hunger is a very like massive link into war food and you know water scarcity and eventually resources in general but i think i'd probably end war because there's definitely a lot of trickle effects yeah uh that's a good point. But then there's a flip side to that in my head. Like, if we end war, do we end some technological innovations that that are gained through war? Like new, you know, R&D uh, technologies? Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty interesting, like, thought in general just to have. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about the Cold War, like, you can think a lot of, like, our technological advancements. Yeah, it, like, like making I it mean, to the moon, for Yeah, it, it pushed us to get to the moon, um, implying we got to the moon. That's another conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like, world hunger, like, 
like I feel like overall is going to have a much bigger effect like effect like comparing like ending all hunger comparing comparing it to like you know like releasing people mm-hmm. in jail for marijuana possession like ultimately I'd say like ending world hunger is probably on on net a much bigger and more beneficial impact like, yeah like, not to like downplay like the importance no, yeah, of, yeah, of course mm-hmm. of reforming drug policy in the United States specifically but like generally speaking I feel like it's going to be a much more of an impact yeah no yeah smart I, I definitely agree so moving on to our second hypothetical of the of the evening let's say that you find a book and you begin to read it only to discover that it is your life you get to the point where you are right now at the present do you turn the next page knowing that you will not be able to change the event to come spencer oh god this is actually a really tough one for me because i have two basic fears in the world one is not being in control the second is not knowing something and knowing that there's something to know so like (laughs) this would drive me insane because like i would be so caught between those two sides honestly ultimately i think that i would would end up turning the page because i like to know what's coming and at least if i know what's coming i can prepare myself for the impact of whatever is going to happen dude how about you andrew i would just be naturally curious so why not Plus, I'm so used to turning pages in books. Like, I'd probably just do it on accident. <laughs> no, such, I, a, such a reader, Andrew. Not, such actually, reader. not such really. Such an intellectual. Not really. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm an intellectual. <laughs> My name's Andrew, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. That's what these meetings are actually about. <laughs> yeah. uh, Our collective alcoholism. <laughs> anyways. No, I, I'd probably do it. Like, I, I think I've always... This is really interesting and really personal. Um, I've always, like, wanted to know when I was going to die so I could, like, make preparations and, like, tell the right people that I love them. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, in, in that case, yeah, I'd probably turn the page. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I'd turn the page, honestly, just out of natural curiosity and also to confirm, like, the belief itself. What if the book was just an autobiography of me mm-hmm. and someone was just trying to troll me? If I read something in, that will happen in the future, it occurs... Uh, you know, hell, I might start reading the rest of the book, even though I don't like to read. And with that, I'll mm-hmm. just understand more about myself. And then, I'll, then, I mean, then, like, what are the implications of that, right? It's like, oh, nothing really matters. I already know what's going to occur. Might mm-hmm. as well try to enjoy every single minute of my life that I have. I mean, I'll ultimately know when I die, yeah. which so, is fine. But I'll try to intellectually or uh, personally grow from all of the experiences. So if you already know what's going to happen, does that mean, like there's no way to get out of it so like say it's something absolutely terrible like bad enough to make you want to kill yourself mm-hmm. does that just make it like guarantee that that's that attempt would not succeed or like what are we doing here i, I like to think that if you've ever read like greek plays yeah and where there's like the the idea of fate or destiny and i mean you could even see in those plays that no matter how some like the, the story of oedipus rex right no matter how hard they try to to uh, change fate, it's just impossible. So, I I like to think that it's like that. Like, unfortunately, in that case, you can't change it. I don't think that the book would be bullet points. Like, oh, mm-hmm. Spencer wakes up today. Spencer eats food today. Spencer reads the book that's about his life today. <laughs> yeah. He turns the page or not. I think that it would really be very vague very subplotty, just mm-hmm. like Andrew was talking about. I mean, this the same example can be made within 
like the the Shakespearean play Hamlet, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, Hamlet talks about how literally he knows that he's going to die, but there's nothing else that he can do, and he knows that it just has to occur. Death has to occur. Death is waiting, and death will ultimately be of will fall upon him. Who writes your biography or book? Me. Do you, do you have like a chosen author? Oh, oh, the book that I that I picked mm-hmm. up yeah. in like the middle of the woods. Yeah, like, Sir Walter Isaacson. Really? Because like I want name recognition, bro. <laughs> word, word, word. Uh, I guess like some higher deity probably would write my book. Either that. Do you or have like a favorite author? Future self. Ooh, yeah. future self. What if your future self is some higher deity? I oh. don't know what to say there, but <laughs> insert gifts of dude. That's huge. Mind blown. Yeah. So with that, we got a lot of a lot of news and conspiracy oh theories to cover uh, this week. So we're going to move on to the news section. In this segment, we talk about international or domestic issues that are recently occurring. We have, uh, we have decided not to talk about the Trump administration this week. So we're going to be talking about the, the riots that are currently happen- happening. And Spencer is going to kick that off. So in case you are living under a rock or just not paying any attention at all to news right now, which... Both are equally possible. I don't know your life. <laughs> but recently in Charlottesville, there was a, a gathering of white supremacists in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, because they were protesting the government of Charlottesville tearing down a statue of Robert E. Lee, uh, Robert e. Lee in addition to a couple other statues, I believe, of just uh, Confederate monuments, essentially. And <clears throat> ultimately, that has turned rather violent at this mm-hmm. point like for example uh just today there was a likely like this isn't confirmed yet but it was likely a white supremacist crashed his car into a group of counter protesters there who are there to protest against the neo-nazi groups and i'm not using the neo-nazi term like lightly here like they are legitimate neo-nazis like they're out there they're chanting nazi slogans they're wearing hitler t-shirts yeah exactly wearing hitler t-shirts yelling stuff like hitler did nothing wrong um, yelling things like blood and soil, which is taken directly from Nazi rallies in the 1930s. Like, yeah. it's really rather frightening to watch, and I, I don't know how to adequately, adequately express my rage and frustration mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. Like, it's just disturbing on such a fundamental level to be sitting here in 2017 seeing literal Ku Klux Klan rallies going around and, like, people just denying trying to still trying to deny the the existence of racism in this country like mm-hmm. even so, in light of these rallies so spencer it all spawns off of this pe- people taking down statues correct yes okay so my question is what were the statues there to begin with like why were they like built and created and so and the statues that? were there to uh commemorate the the confederacy of the united states right so like to con- to commemorate a rebel group that tried to secede from the United States in order to assert their right to have slaves and own people. Okay, so are, so Virginia was like a, a state from the South. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the states that seceded. Yeah, seceded. Like, do we know which which number it was to secede? Because I know North Carolina was like, I'm so, sorry, South Carolina was one of the first to secede. From I believe, the if I remember correctly, if my uh, memory of the Civil War is serving me correctly, they were one of the later states, but not the last, if I I have that correct. Okay, so in my head, there's these people who are protesting and trying to get rid of these these racist relics of 
these statues. So my question is, well, I mean, sorry, it's a part so of, there were people there protesting the removal of these the statues. removal of the statues. These, okay. these neo-Nazi and there was white counter, supremacists. There was groups. counter. There was counter protesting. Yes, okay, I understand now. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So just so our, our listeners just fully understand, like the 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 severity and like the the depth of this whole issue, what is the cultural significance that these statues play within the region? I mean, like, let's take the perspective of one of the people who are protesting the removal of these statues or the destruction mm-hmm. of these statues, right? They, it, the reason that the statues are there definitely have some sort of cultural significance for the area, correct? Yeah. Correct, but, like, the people who are there protesting, honestly, a lot of them came from outside of the area. And, like, I think it's hard to make the argument that they're there to, liter- like, legitimately there just to protect heritage when they're actually chanting neo-Nazi mm-hmm. slogans. Like, that's that's... That's hate. I'm sorry. Like, there's no, uh, there's no beating around the brush about it. Like, these these groups are Nazis. They're KKK members. Like, they're the worst that our society has to offer. Yeah. Like, I can I can agree that there is like some sort of historical value in those like statues existing, right? Like, in in yeah. terms of like, even at the very least, like teaching a lesson um, of like what happened there, and like I think there there is value in that, and like statues or or like historical landmarks existing in in europe like nazi germany you know like i can maybe see like people protesting on the basis that it has historical value we shouldn't be trying to like erase that from memory but i think like in the sense that you're erasing from memory the the like cultural ideas that underpinned the the what the statue and like what that person stood for and what the confederate states of america stood for then at that point the statue needs to come down just yeah, exactly. straight up like, it needs to come down and people always like chant about like like a common rallying cry for the people trying to yeah. protect the statues is heritage mm-hmm. not hate but what they completely ignore honestly mm-hmm. is that hate was at the core of the confederate states of, uh, of america right like yeah. literally in their declaration of independence they state that like one of their core founding principles is the principle that black people are not equal to white people like they yeah. i'm sorry like there's no at that point there's not really much to defend there in my mind at this point like it's really just like white supremacists who have used it as a flashpoint and a rallying cry for their cause like trying to rally more people do you think that andrew do you think that the america like the political polarization that is currently happening in america is is fueling the fire to these racist ideologies or just like the ideologies of the protesters Mm -hmm. in general well i I would certainly say that and you know like unfortunately the that fuel was being like the previous administration the obama administration also fueled that political climate like those people were just hidden and i think like the the way that the like alt-right has kind of come into like come like center stage The, the trump administration definitely creates a situation and like his his election victory definitely definitely creates a situation in which it's more viable for these people to be out in the open well literally today david duke came out and said that like this rally quote unquote like i'm paraphrasing here but essentially what he said is that this rally is to fulfill trump like essentially trump's campaign promises Mm -hmm. and so it's like it's really frustrating to me to sit here and watch this happen and to sit and watch people try and deny that like oh these people aren't associated with Trump. Like these people, like don't get their power from Trump at all because, like, they're literally claiming. So claiming Spencer, that. just for our listener, who is David Duke? David Duke is the uh, leader of a KKK group. Okay. Tr- KKK Trump's group. Trump's election victory is literally a rallying rallying cry for these people. Like, there's like, like 
I, yeah, I, I'm not going to dance around it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's literally what it is. So what do you think the local government of Virginia can do in order to decrease this kind of problem from occurring again or well, uh, pol- any sort of changes well, for in one general? Thing, the, the Virginia... Don't back down from taking down the s- statues. Like, sure. Like, you, like, with these types of people, like, you can't give them any sort of victory no matter what it is. Like, yeah. And, you and have to just shut them down. The Virginian governor came out and, like, dec- de- um, decried the uh, what's going on in Charlottesville. And he's saying, like, there's no room for this. Um, and fortunately, a lot, a lot of people are, like, coming out about this. Um, you know, not standing up for it. Like, unfortunately, your speech isn't always protected. And it shouldn't always be protected. No, it shouldn't. Like... like like yelling blood and soil, a mm-hmm. literal Nazi rallying cry, is honestly just like yelling like blood and soil, which is literally just a Nazi rallying cry, like taken directly from Nazi rallies, as I said earlier. Like that's that should be honestly, in my opinion, like that should be hate speech. Yeah. So, do you think every single political uh, person within the region should definitely denounce the of course the uh, absolutely like? Honestly, I don't care where you are in the United States. If you are a significant political leader, like I think that you have uh, an obligation to explicitly condemn these groups as what they are, as white supremacists, as neo-Nazis. Yeah. So what's the broader implication here? The broader implication is that our country is headed down a very dangerous and very scary path um, because we have a president in in the White House who refuses to identify these people as who they are and refuses to come out and say anything about them other than, oh, we decry violence on any side. You can't do that and remain honest with yourself about believing that you are stand against hate, hatred. Like, if there is hatred, call it out specifically. Like, yeah. you can't sit there and say, oh, well, there's violence on many sides, so we decry it all. Like, you have to specifically say, like, these, kids, these guys are white supremacists and they have no place in our culture today. And america in 2017 yeah trump himself has an obligation to come out and specifically denounce these people that are doing this which he did not right he he didn't do that in his statement he did not in name call out white supremacists or white nationalists so did he have a statement about this issue he did it was really weak basically he said i don't like violence and it's like no no way really he denounced violence on either side which is fine which is fine because neither side should be engaging in violence. But the fact is, right now, like the white supremacists yeah. are the one who are committing. So I have violence. a question: mm-hmm. What if these these white supremacists, these neo-Nazi people, protested but protested in a non-violent way? Do you think that their message would have been heard better? Would have been heard worse? What do you think the mm-hmm. like implications are of the neo-Nazis taking that kind of well, route? The problem is, it doesn't matter. Like. If they are violent or nonviolent, their message is still the same. Their message it, is it's still like in my yeah, it, it's still an inherently violent message. Like they they they're little literal fascists, mm-hmm. and a corner piece, like a keystone of the fascist ideology, is that violence and war is actually a good thing for national identity. Like they like they went in, like make no mistake about it, they didn't go in with the intent to peacefully mm-hmm. protest. They went in to foment violence. They went in to stir the to stir things up, so to speak. Like. That's what they're there for. Yeah. And one more thought about Trump. As soon as he denounces it in name, denounces these people and says, yeah, they support me. I don't support them. Whatever they're supporting me for, I will try to fix. He no longer becomes a rallying cry for them. 
Yeah, and he had he's had multiple opportunities mm-hmm. to do that during during the campaign. David Duke came out in support of him, and he basically said, and he claimed to not know who David Duke was, even yeah. though, if I remember correctly, like they have ties. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you think that if Donald Trump went out and denounced them, and denounced all of white supremacy, and mm-hmm. especially David Duke? there would be kind of a pedagogical shift or like a shift in thought with the entire race issue that's happening in America. Probably not, but it would help. Like yeah, right would, now, would, right yeah. now standing idly by and not denouncing specifically what they're doing, it's legitimizing their argument. Especially when they when he literally has an advisor in the White House by the name of Sebastian, I believe his first name Sebastian is Sebastian Gorka. Yeah, Sebastian Gorka who has literal ties to Nazi groups in one of the one of the Eastern European countries. Mm-hmm. Literal ties to a neo-Nazi group. Has been pictured wearing Nazi memorabilia. Like, and he's in the White House? Like, that's disturbing to me. Like, Well, during the protests, there was a person who rammed their car into the other, like, mm-hmm. into the... Counter-protesters. The counter-protesters, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, we, correct. We, they, they figured out who did that, correct? Yeah, he's a 20-year-old from Ohio. From Ohio. Yeah. Wow. Um, How far is Ohio from Virginia? Quite a, quite a bit, right? Like six, I mean, it's like doable. That's probably, yeah. yeah, about that, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean. So they, they apprehended the person, and I assume they're going to charge him. My question here with this, with this, he would probably be seen as a hero with the neo-Nazis, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are what what's the implication of televising and really putting this person into the limelight as you know as like we, the media tries to characterize him as a villain, of course, but really he's idolized and even I mean at that scale televised to the entire neo Nazis. Mm-hmm. Let's call it what it is. It's terrorism. Yeah. Point blank. It's it, it is terrorism by by very definition. It, it, he is a terrorist. Um, I I don't know about your question in that like. Does he legitimize, like, their feelings? Or does he, like, become a rallying cry for them? Maybe. But he's going to be in jail. And he killed one person and hurt a lot more people. So wouldn't he be seen as a martyr, in a sense? He could, but even those people, I'm not even sure that that's, like, what they wanted to happen. Like, he might have just been... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that, maybe. So a few thoughts. One is it delegitimizes, because like one problem with this, um, and I can get more into this into, in, in a little bit, but like one problem with this whole movement is that they've spent years trying to foment like this identity of the alt-right around the old neo-Nazi agendas, right? And so they've, tried, they've been trying to turn it into like a, a legit, like at least like a legitimized in the views of the in the view of the public, a legitimized political movement, mm-hmm. and so in my opinion, it is important that we identify these Nazis and we identify as the violent extremists they are, because then you have people who are, you know, like fringe, who maybe have some, like and like I'm not like trying to defend these people either, either and like call them like moderates per se, but like mm-hmm. yeah, I guess like essentially like fringe supporters of this movement. If we can like. Because, like, the core supporters, they're going to stay, right? There's nothing that we can do at this point to get them to leave, Mm -hmm. Um, except for in rare cases, obviously. But, like, there are going to be people on the fringes of that movement who will be frightened away by uh, by this type of violence and by being identified as a violent terrorist extremist, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's important to um, openly identify this person because, sure, like, maybe it'll, like, present him as a martyr to like the small core group of this movement mm-hmm. but there are plenty of others who will be very turned off by that type of violence yeah 
I mean, it, it's like one thing to to like identify with like an extremist racist group. Yeah. It's another thing to identify with the murderer. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like exactly. It's that's a good way of putting it. Like yeah. like and yeah, there's going to be people who just have no morals and are going to identify with those groups anyways. Yeah. And there are other ways of dealing with them. Um but yeah, like I said, like we need to de- delegitimize this movement as as benign as uh peaceful in any way possible because mm-hmm. when you have people online who are trying to put a nice face on <laughs> neo-nazism and it's just disgusting yeah i mean it's and a terror that needs group to be ended well oh, okay maybe I, i'll take that back i don't know that it's a terror group that guy is a terrorist though also a helicopter went down Did you yeah, see that that's it was crazy. a police helicopter so has there been more news about that because i saw that it happened and i saw that like there was this headline about the helicopter being related to the mm-hmm. rallies in some way, but I didn't see if that it, meant like it was just patrolling or it, what it was, was going on. a police helicopter monitoring the protests. Okay, and I, as far as I can tell, it seems to be some like malfunction. They're saying yeah. there's no foul play being a factor. That's what I was guessing. Um, but like, yeah, that, but yeah, both the pilots died. That's oh, that's really shitty. So yeah. Yeah, but I mean, can't even imagine. Like, that's just a weird headline to to have come up, and a really scary one after you see one of somebody yeah, exactly. plowing into a group of people, injuring or killing twenty people. So overall, um, a pretty tragic weekend. <laughs> yeah, no, weird seeing this stuff in America. Yeah. So with this whole, I guess, with the whole police issue that you just talked about, mm-hmm. do you think that there is going to be more tension related to police and citizen violence? Uh huh absolutely <laughs> like i i don't want to say it but i i think we can expect more protests like this mm-hmm. um in our near in our near future and i'm not entirely sure what the answer is i don't know if the answer is to go out and uh oppose them as as violently as happened in charlottesville basically make them afraid to show their faces i don't know if the answer is to just like ignore them and not give them the publicity they seek like i really wish that I had answers for that but I honestly don't and I've been thinking about it all day well this is I think that we just this triangle that we have perspective of the issue I mean right now we're, I'm we're just looking through the lens of two white people and we're not even looking through the lens of a person of color within America personally mm-hmm. I think that the entire issue is very is very scary because it comes down to the roots of the issue of like literally political contention over something that you have one no control over at all your your ethnicity your literally the skin of color that you have the most identifiable part of you because you are literally the skin that you are one it's your biggest organ but two like it's so easy to just cast the blame onto some onto someone else the other and there's nothing that some that people can do about it yeah yeah exactly it's like having a number of friends who are people of color like 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 makes me like scared for like their comfort and safety like it's it's just a very scary scary issue yeah i definitely agree that it, it is a very very uh, frightening issue especially yeah. when earlier this year the trump administration defunded uh counter counterterrorism efforts dedicated to anti-white supremacism i think i think this whole white supremacy neo-nazi fascism issue is all really tied together with a problem of identifying uh, white 
terrorism and there's just a fundamental lack of understanding or there's blatant ignorance that's involved mm. with the issue but why terrorism exists it's more prevalent than any other kind of terrorism at least within the United States I can't yeah. speak for yeah. other kinds of terrorism around the world uh, but fundamentally there's just a, a lack of, of foresight or identification identification thank you we need Spencer. to call it what it is like like it's it's time to stop calling people you know lone wolves yeah exactly like Dylan Roof for example went and shot up a black church a lot of the media uh, covers surrounding him basically mm. just identified him as like mentally disturbed lone wolf shooter we need to identify it as what it is it is terrorism tangent did you hear what happened with Dylan Roof that he got beat up he did, so he yeah, got he got, he, got, beat up. he got beat up in prison and the person who beat him up was a black guy oh and he, and he yeah, got he so many like, donations <laughs> that he's out on bail like yep like good for that guy like I, I like honestly like I don't necess- I, I don't condone violence but like when there's somebody that goes and shoots up a church, like I am all for beating the shit out of them. Yeah, dude, I I'm, I would have donated if I knew that I could. Donate. <laughs> yeah, literally same. Honestly, though. Now, with that whole situation that occurred with him in prison, would Dylan Roof be seen as a martyr for a white supremacist? Group? He already is. So, what do we do to combat that? Combating martyrdom. I don't think that you can. Like, like the more people yeah. you that that go down, like in the sense that. They go to jail or, you know, like, unfortunately, we can't do anything who, like, uh, about people who do drastic things like that and, and terrible things like that. Like, if they're going to end up like a martyr, like, there's, I just don't think that there's anything you can do about it. Yeah, it's it's the unfortunate truth. But honestly, like I said, like, I think that the best thing to do is to identify these people as what they are, terrorists, to put potential you know, disaffected youth who are looking for some sort of identity in whatever they can find, like, to keep them from being turned into extremists themselves, right? Spencer, I think you bring up a really great point about how we can minimize the effects of neo-Nazi, neo-Nazis and also delegitimize them at the same time. I mean, really coming down to, like, the central level, educating people, especially the youth, uh, youth, the youth culture, and also, like, focusing really hard on, I mean, specific populations that could be seen as, I mean, troublesome. Yeah, exactly. And we're not going to, like, like, to be clear, like, we're, like Andrew said, we're never going to be, unfortunately, the unfortunate truth is we're never going to be able to stop everybody from joining these type of extremist movements or whatnot but it's very very important that we work to limit their impact i feel as though during the obama administration these kind of acts and these issues weren't very heavily publicized or even seen at all uh during during those eight years do you think that having a person of color in the white house uh kind of kind of put a cap on that even though it wasn't i mean obviously like neo-nazism and these this kind of fascism was still around and prevalent Mm -hmm. during that time do you think that they really kind of went to the backing or the outcrop or uh, were undercover during that time this is going to sound weird but unfortunately i think it actually made it worse um it kind of set the stage for like one it, it set the stage for like a trump presidency and two it like added fuel to the fire of the um of the the like the alt right far extreme right argument because you know Obama uh, like he was a very polarizing president you know the president we have now is a very polarizing president you're gonna push people to the very very edge and this is the kind of 
thing that happens. I do think ultimately having a person of color in office was obviously a good thing. It was great progress that we made, but I just, I, I think unfortunately, at least for some people, it added fuel to the fire. And honestly, I think a lot of that, like, uh, to be quite partisan here, honestly, I think a lot of that can be attributed to a lot of the rhetoric that the political right directed at the Obama presidency yeah. of trying to delegitimize him as like a true American, like the whole burger conspiracy, like the mm -hmm. Trump maybe necessarily didn't necessarily start, but definitely fueled yeah. a lot of it. Like a lot of that racism was fueled by the political right, either um, implicitly by refusing to acknowledge it or explicitly by spreading those rumors and those lies. Yeah. And, and like at a certain point, I think like, they need to own up to that. They need to acknowledge, like, the, pe the people who are now on the right and trying to condemn the violence in Charlottesville this weekend, they need to own up to their actions in the past and acknowledge that they played a part in driving this polarization and extremism. After that enticing new segment about Virginia, we are going to enter the conspiracy zone. In this segment, we talk about conspiracies that are typically out of the ordinary. We debate the validity of the conspiracy and see if it could potentially be true. This week, we're going to talk about the Bermuda Triangle. And by no means do we mean to offend anyone with this segment. It's just for fun and an inter interesting look at these subjects through an extraordinary perspective. So I'm going to kick this segment off by talking about the Bermuda Triangle and how it's like this really interesting piece of land within the Atlantic Ocean. So the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle, is, is a loosely defined region in the North Atlantic Ocean, where a number of aircrafts and ships are said to have disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Most, most, the most reputable sources dismiss the idea as a complete mystery, but let's be honest, there are way too many coincidences that happen in this area. This triangle is, uh, is basically a triangle that goes from a southern tip of Florida to the islands of Bermuda to Puerto Rico, which basically creates this triangle. So the coordinates are, if any of you are curious, it's 25 degrees north and 71 degrees west. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, disappearances that are attributed to paranormal activities and extraterrestrial beings. Basically, the origins uh, of the Bermuda Triangle suggest that there are disappearances that occurred in September 17, 1950, with an article published by the, by the Miami Herald by Edward Van Winkle Jones. Basically, it talked about how there's sea mysteries at our back door. It was a short article by George X that talked about basically uh, creatures coming out from the ocean and taking ships uh, into the into Davy Jones's locker. The person who who talked about it talked usually about how they would enter white water and nothing seemed right. Compasses would go crazy and ships would basically go into a mist of white water and completely sink. Uh, a bunch of other people kind of piggybacked off of those ideas mm -hmm. and wrote uh, similar kind of stories, mythos, and even news articles that had to do the, that had to center around the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle. There's some notable instances that occurred. Ellen Austin supposedly came across a direct ship placed on a board of a prize cruise and attempted to sail it to New York uh, in 1981. According to the stories, the, the entire ship disappeared, the entire crew disappeared, um, and then eventually mysteriously reappeared a few years later with, uh, you know, with 
no crew, but the ship was just mysteriously sailing. Mm. There is another incident that talks of, uh, that's the USS Cyclops, and basically the incidents result. Uh, it was a result of the single largest loss of life in the history of the U.S. Navy, not related to combat that that occurred when basically this full loaded USS uh, carrier went missing without a trace of the crew, that uh, and a total of three hundred and nine people were lost. The ship departed on March 4th of 1918 from the island of Barbados. There is no strong evidence for any single theory that directly links the ship being crashed by a storm or of some paranormal activity or of some wartime enemy activity. Uh, pretty much, there's almost no evidence of any kind of structural failures. Evidences of, of planes disappearing and ships, notable ships disappearing around the area. Mm -hmm. One other specific theory that deals with the Bermuda Triangle has to do with Amelia Earhart. Apparently, there's a theory that she flew over this region even though she wasn't, or she flew over the region because her certain coordinates got mixed up or something like that, and she succumbed to the tragedy of the Bermuda Triangle. That's the basic shell of the theory. So, does anyone want to kick us off with some interesting thoughts? Atlantis. Atlantis. <laughs> so, Let's do it. So, I, I'm sure you've heard about Atlantis. Plato talked of it. It was the perfect civilization, the most advanced civilization that will ever exist, uh, according to Plato. And so there's actually some like pretty solid evidence uh, at the like in the region of the Bermuda Triangle, for for something being there, one of them is called the Bimini Road, which is like a rock formation uh, on the bottom of the ocean, and the Bimini Road literally looks like some sort of road. Like it's very linear. Um, I mean, if if you look at the uh, the the rocks, they're kind of like brick-like. Some of them are. They're kind of placed. Seem to be placed in some sort of purposeful fashion right and so some people say it could have something to do with atlantis um it could have something to do with something else radiocarbon dating dates it back to like 3500 bc if they were to be placed there uh which is really interesting so if you remember our episode our episode two that talked about saddam hussein's stargate stargate do you think that there could be a connection with this Atlantis civilization that could mm -hmm. possibly live there and a Stargate. You said that it, that it carbon dating dates mm -hmm. it back to 3500 BC. Yeah. That's around the same time that the Anunnaki tribes obtained their mythical Stargate. Do you think that there's some sort of connection between a Stargate, Atlantis, and the Bermuda Triangle? There, there certainly could be. I like the idea of like Atlantis existing like, at, or was destroyed by like some sort of cosmic event. Something happened there. Um, and thus there's like still like radiological or electromagnetic like radiation or some sort of anomaly occurring in the area of the Bermuda Triangle that's causing planes to go down, causing uh, ships to sink, things like that. I mean, if, even if you take like a, a look at the mini road, it's spelled B-I-M-I-N-I -I -I, uh, road. Like those pictures, I mean, they look pretty solid. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, it looks deliberate. It looks real. Could be evidence for Atlantis. Could be evidence for, for what's really going on at the Bermuda Triangle. Makes me not super skeptical about it. Oh, and I was just going to say, like, even if, like, you just ignore, like, the Atlantis thing, like, there's been, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of legends of 
lost civilizations underneath the sea. So like, yeah, this could, yeah. So even just setting aside like the Atlantis uh, conspiracy or Atlantis myth, there, yeah, this could still plenty. This could still point to some sort of lost city or lost civilization that has fallen beneath the waves many many years ago. How about aliens? Yes. See, I already talked about aliens. Atlantis. So you're saying that Atlantis is an alien civilization. I don't know that it's like an alien civilization, but I do think that it could be like a human-alien civilization. Human hybrid. Could be. Um, Could could have been built with with alien help. Could have been like an alien stronghold or something. I don't know. Um, Hence why it disappeared. Aliens are pretty good at disappearing. (laughs) Yeah, and I will say that like a lot of like the disappearances uh, in the Bermuda Triangle. So taking the most cynical view on the Bermuda Triangle, statistically, it's not more likely for something to disappear there. But to me, what's notable about the Bermuda Triangle is not like you know like the number of disappearances or like the rate of disappearances. It's the nature of the disappearances, right? Mm-hmm. It's that the disappearances are so unnatural and uh, what's the word for it? Inexplicable. Mm-hmm. a lot of them that makes it remarkable to me so I mean like I, I don't think that's like a very good argument against uh, saying like there's not there's not statistically more disappearances in the area sure so there's another area within the, the globe that's very similar in nature and it's called the dragon's triangle and this dragon triangle is in the Pacific and it is referred often as the Pacific Bermuda Triangle Basically, it's a region in the Pacific around the Miyake Islands, about 100 uh, kilometers south of Tokyo, and it's a, there's a lot of pop culture uh, conspiracies related to this, to this triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we think about a Stargate-specific ideology that you know uh, a plane in the Bermuda Triangle and the Atlantic can transfer over mm-hmm. to the Pacific Bermuda Triangle or the Dragon's Triangle, yeah. uh, or you know these either of these sites could be locations for alien travel or interdimensional travel in general. Sure. So just like Spencer said, uh, there is definitely no higher rate of craft disappearance within the in the in the region a lot of the mysterious occurrences are you know usually wives tales or things like that uh there's a lot of popularity behind it i mean there's obviously a lot of hype behind it and a lot of people kind of play it up as as an issue that's bigger than it actually is Mm -hmm. there's really honestly no higher level of disappearances within the entire area and it's just become like a folklore dude shut up (laughs) it's atlantis I mean, <laughs> telling you. probably. So, what would we what would we rate this theory as? What do you give it a rating, Andrew? Dude, ten out of ten, man. Ten out of ten. This is ten out of ten. Ten points. This is in my history book when I write it. This totally happens, dude. Stuff, crazy stuff happens, man. How about you, Spencer? I'm giving it like a five out of seven. Five out of seven. You know, like it's I I could buy into it, but at the same time, like with how often their unexplained disappearances at sea in general i'm not sure that like you know bermuda triangle deserves its uh status as uniquely interesting dude and i think that there's just something interesting about like disappearances at sea in general also they really scare me because i hate the ocean i'll give this uh theory one cthulhu out of seven unicorns uh i think that it really i mean when it comes down to it the ocean is like 
a really weird, mysterious place. Anything mm-hmm. can happen. Disappearances can occur. Uh, but, you know, just like any other location in the ocean. We're, we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle, and you wait until now to drop Cthulhu. Why haven't we been talking Cthulhu the whole time? Because in the Lovecraftian pantheon of gods, Cthulhu is actually, like, further south, dude, in the Pacific Ocean. Dude. So, please. He, he travels up. Please check Sometimes. Oh, he travels around the Americas just to go to the Atlantic dude. Ocean. It is his <laughs> summer home. He does not <laughs> utilize the Panama Canal. Would it not be his winter home? It could also oh, be his winter. Touche. Because I feel like the Atlantic Ocean's a little bit colder, a little bit harsher. Actually, uh, depends on the part. That specific part of the Atlantic Ocean, though, is tends to be warmer because of the Gulf oh, yeah. Stream. Oh, interesting. There it is. Interesting. So that could be another explanation, actually, for like shifting waters and whatnot. Is you have the Gulf Stream coming right through there, so that has a tendency to and disrupt. Have, have rogue waves that yep. are waves and that reach hundred feet. Yeah, rogue waves. Hurricanes, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, that's with, pretty interesting. So with, ultimately, I think it's still it's mostly built off of hype, but I do think it's very interesting. The number of unexplained. Well, thank thank you both for that interesting discussion on the recent Virginia protests and also the interesting look on the Bermuda Triangle and also the Dragon's Triangle. Remember that if you like us, feel free to give us a five star, a favorite, a like, or whatever you need to show your appreciation. And of course, if you want to talk to us about a specific conspiracy or domestic or international issue, feel free to comment telling us what you want us to talk about. The inspiration for this week comes from a person named Larry Smith. Thanks, Larry, for this lit idea. (laughs) Special shout out to, quote, my name is Nico, who gave us our first five-star review on iTunes. We really do love the support and really do love it when you give us comments and also give us five stars because we're, you know, just doing this for fun and also like we love the constructive criticism. But give us a five stars even if even if we suck. Remember to comment. <laughs> AKA, we are desperate for your feedback, please. Remember to I com- need validation. <laughs> Remember to comment on the podcast telling us what you think about the topic or tell us how awesome or awful we are. Either way, it is going to, you know, make me cry. Don't forget to subscribe so you stay up to date on all the interesting conspiracy and newsworthy events. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple's Podcasts, and YouTube at Outside the Box. Do y'all want to plug your social media? Uh, check me out at Thought Cheetos. That is T H O T underscore Cheetos on Twitter. And also, you can find me at Frogs Are People Too on Twitch.tv. I'll mostly be streaming Destiny. Dude, your stream's so lit. Um, Snapchat me. A-hole, that's A-H-U-L-L. Um, also, Instagram, uh, Thotimus Prime, you already know. It's pretty much it, yeah. Okay, you can find me on Snapchat, at Eric Perez 18 Oh, and a little bit, just before we close up, you know, uh, we, we're the first podcast on Apple Podcast. If you look us up, we're the first episode. Our episode one is uh, it's pretty good, so we're hitting, we're hitting the waves. That's we're ruffling up. some feathers. Hey-o. The only conspiracy podcast that exists. Don't at me on that. Anyway, <laughs> see you next week. And lastly, stay outside the box. Stay swifty, nice. friends. <laughs>